Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with two minutes. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, if you don't get the breaks of the ball, Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break, and as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello there and welcome to the latest episode of the Here We Go podcast. Now, we we have yet another packed show for you this evening. Uh, we have a game against Ross County to look back on. Uh, we're going to be chatting to one of our guests about the AFC women's team as well. And because it's one of those really, really boring and inconvenient international weeks, uh, we've decided we're going to try and pick out, we're going to fight over, we're going to debate um, the best 11 of the 21st century for Aberdeen. As always... We're joined this week by Richard Hay. How are you, Richard? I'm okay, thank you, Martin. Okay. You have re- recovered from your exploits away? Uh, well, no, I still have the, the cold from it. So uh, this is what happens when you're in your 40s and trying to act like you're 18. Yeah, uh, a lesson to be learnt for all of us, I suppose. We also want to welcome back to the show uh, we, no, uh, Mark Gordon, who is our guest who we'll be speaking to later on in the show about the AFC ladies team. How are you doing, Mark? Good, thanks. Good to be back on. No problem, glad to have you back. Uh, we're also welcoming back, back to the show as well, John Sinclair. How are you doing, John? Um, very well, thanks. Uh, glad to be back on. Thanks for asking me. Pleasure to have you both back. Uh, so we're going to get straight into it, firstly, um, talking about the Ross County game from Saturday. Um, Richard, now, four changes, probably none of them hugely surprising, um, given, given the, the game the week before. Um, Viner and Devlin come in for the injured uh, Logan, and um, obviously we knew McKenna was injured, uh, and McGinn and Hedges back in as well. Any surprises there for you? Well, I think the defensive changes are a case of who was left, to be perfectly honest, given what uh, we had on the bench on Saturday. And But there had to be changes made up front, because the, the performance against Kilmarnock just wasn't up to it, just wasn't good enough in an attacking sense. And I think he's very much gone back to his first choice. Uh, I don't think call them wingers now. I think with the system we're playing, it's almost uh, they're being asked to play as wide attackers. Certainly, it was key to how we won on Saturday that uh, McGinn and Ryan Hedges were getting into the box much, much more, trying to connect with crosses from the other side. And I think they've been instructed to do that. Rather than perhaps in the past, when we've been playing with a more traditional number 10, they might have been asked to stay out wide, hug the touchline, beat the man, get balls into the box. I think it's now central to how he wants to play if Ojo Ferguson and Bryson are indeed going to be that midfield three, that your two wide players are actually going to be like wide forwards, like wide attackers rather than wingers. Hey Mark, Richard mentions uh, Ojo and Bryson there. Um, dare I suggest that we've finally lumbered upon a midfield pair and that we can be happy with? Yeah, I was impressed with both of them together at the weekend. Um, I have always wondered whether it was going to be a bit of an issue, Ojo, Bryson and Ferguson, just with fitting them all into the team. But um, I think he kind of struck upon a good medium between the three of them on Saturday. Um, 
particularly Ojo, I think that was his best game for us on Saturday. I was particularly impressed with him. And Bryson as well. <coughs> but you like to think that he's going to get better as he gets back up to fitness. Yeah, Bryson, um, yeah, John, I was thought that Bryson did look like he tired towards the end of the game, but you know, there's clear, we've clearly got a talented player there. Um, I know he started off the game pretty well, I thought. Um, this was, clear, like Mark says, they're clearly his best game for us so far. I think the, the last time I was on with you, I mentioned that I wasn't totally sure what Ferguson's best role was going to be for us. Um, I thought that there was very clearly a player in there, but I was unsure whether he was going to be best suited to a deep kind of role, behind the striker's role, or a bit of a kind of box-to-box kind of role. Now, whether by accident or design, I think we've stumbled upon a midfield pair in Bryson and Ojo that allow Ferguson to to have a role all to himself, which is playing behind, well, maybe not behind the strikers as such, but as the most forward of a midfield three. Last season, when we were dealing with a midfield of Shinny and Ferguson and whoever else we could cram in there. Ferguson was expected to be a bit of a jack of all trades. But now that we've got the deep lying midfielder and the box to box midfielder, Ferguson has a more clearly defined role. So I think that the three of them together are looking like a, a, a an improvement, certainly on what we had last year in terms of how well they play together, if not necessarily in terms of the individual personnel. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Because um, Ferguson is not quite operating as a 10, not quite operating as an 8. It's kind of somewhere in between those two traditional roles. And uh, you said at the outset, Martin, in your question, you said we blundered upon a midfield pairing. It's, it's no surprise that as soon as Ojo was bought, that the ideal midfield three was going to be Ojo, Bryson and Ferguson. It's also quite clear that a lot of our success with uh, rests on how successfully those three managed to play together. And our opening goal came from, well, another another set piece. Um, I thought earlier in the game, Mark, some of the short corners were really poor. Um, I'm not, I'm not, personally, I think I've said many times on here, I'm not a huge fan of that. As much as I thought the set pieces early on were poor, the free kick for that first goal was really well worked. A really good set piece for Lee, Lee to pop up and get the header, find himself you know, in so much free space in the box as well. Yeah, it was really good. I was really impressed with the with the goal and the free kick. Um, I always like to see the kind of set pieces that have been worked on their training ground, and you can tell that a, a bit of thoughts went into them. I thought they were trying a few different things at corners as well. It's maybe the kind of extra time that they've got now that they don't have the midweek games, a bit more time to prepare for games and put some work in, in the training field with set pieces. Uh, Lee's header was super. He looks a real threat in set pieces as well for. A fullback, he's quite a big lad and he certainly looks like a danger in the air, which is good because I know Max Lowe last season was maybe a threat from different areas, but um, the fact that uh, Lee can go in the box and be a threat in the air is an added kind of bonus for us, I think. I would take slight issue with Martin again. Sorry, it's like I'm always picking on you, but that basically is the story of this podcast. Uh, I, I would take slight issue with you saying that the, the short corners were poor. I thought th- they were fairly predictable, as in it was always going to be out-swinging balls. But again, it was clearly something that had been worked on, and the delivery was generally pretty good. I think there was one maybe hit the, the man that came in short, but generally they were pretty threatening deliveries. It is one of these things, I suppose, that your your average Pitodri goer does kind of groan when the ball from a corner is played in short because they just want to see it. Get it in a box, men. 
And it's got to be said, there was an <laughs> audible groan when that free kick was played short uh, prior to Greg Lee scoring the opener. So uh, I think that was maybe a groan that was stifled in a few minds. You so often see a free kick routine that you you know with confidence has been designed on the training ground, and it falls to bits before the second pass has even even been made. But that was one of the the simplest training ground free kick goals I think you'll ever see. Um, we were extremely confident and extremely comfortable with what we were trying to do, and that led to just a, a lovely finish from from Greg Lee. I think Greg Lee said in the, the press afterwards that they've been working particularly hard on set pieces with Tony Dock. Um, that's interesting, and it looks to be paying off, at least in this early part of the season. I think it's probably worthwhile as well acknowledging how poor the Ross County uh, marking was for that first goal. And also, as much as we, we are encouraged by the performance in midfield of Ojo and Bryson, it was uh, an area of the park that County, very surprisingly, only put two men up against us in there. Uh, really, given how critical it is to try and get control of midfield in these games, it was a bit of a surprise to me that they, they opted to leave us there with a man advantage in there. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's quite right. Um for Richard to mention that, John, um, that you know, so many teams, you know, we've we've said this quite a lot on here, so I'll I'll, I'll let you answer this one. So many teams come to Pitodry and they just sit in. Um, Ross County didn't necessarily want to do that. They didn't try and stifle, st- just stifle the game and choke the life out of the game. They they did tr- try to kind of play a little bit of football here and there, um, but no, it, it was just that Aberdeen were in, on the day. We were too good for them, though, weren't we? Yeah, ultimately, I think that. We were better than a team that we should be better than. I think that the the highlights can give you a slightly unfair uh, uh, sample of the game in that they did hit the post twice. The penalty was a weird one. It's one of those ones that we're going to have to get used to. I don't think Ojo particularly did anything wrong, but unfortunately you're going to be punished for that kind of thing for the next season or so until these rules sort themselves out. And then they hit the post again later on with what was a pretty speculative shot, speculative shot really. So from from my understanding and from what I've been able to see of the game, we weren't under any real threat from Ross County, and I don't think they'll pose much of a threat to, to the top end of the league as the season goes on. And Richard, man of the match was awarded to Ryan Hedges. I think there, don't think there was much um, much question about that. I mean, he was up against you know, the hapless Ricky Foster, who had had a torrid a torrid afternoon. Uh, Ryan Hedges, a guy who will want to see more of, want to see lots of lots of attacking football from him. He, he, so far, he's looked he's looked quite good. You know, there's a couple of a couple of couple of you no know, below par performances, but Saturday was certainly one where um, he staked a claim for a, a regular starting starting shirt. Yeah, and it was important for him because obviously he'd, he's been playing most of the season when he's played to date. He's been playing in that central attacking midfield role, which with Bryson now fit, you're going to see really Lewis Ferguson playing now, I think. So um, it, it was important for him to basically get ahead of uh, John Gallico in the pecking order. And um, he obviously scored, but uh, that uh, really owed mostly to uh, now begins tremendous ball into the back post. But yeah, some good overall play. Again, very good with the ball at his feet, very good moving us forward, moving us up the pitch, and we need people on the team who are going to be capable of doing that. And uh, John, I think, you know, the, obviously the clip of Ryan Hedges that's been, was was going wild on social media, and even the BBC have started to share it now as well. We'll be seeing that, I think we'll be seeing that quite a lot uh, lately, where he just, um, he, uh, poor Ricky Foster ends up flat on his face in the corner. I mean, I can only imagine how uh, quickly Ricky Foster managed to endear himself on Ryan Hedges, given that Hedges was willing to do him like that in front of 
all the Aberdeen fans. Hedges doesn't know who Ricky Foster is unless he's unless someone sat him down and told him, you know, Foster's probably earned that at some point during the match with a bit of back chat if we know what Ricky Foster's like as well as we think we do. Or perhaps just the reaction from the fans every time he touched the ball because having been at McDermott Park last season, uh, we don't take too kindly to Ricky Foster anymore, do we? No, it's good to, it's good to have a, a figure of fun we can, that's, um, that's always going to... We could probably have a, a... We'll have a bad game against us, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it's always good when a former player comes back and doesn't have a brilliant game and, or score against us. And uh, um, with Hedges as well, it wasn't just the Foster uh, kind of turn that left him on his backside, but they keep you up as well. And in the game, it's little glimpses like that um, of confidence in a player and skill from a player that fans like to see. You maybe don't want to see it when you're 0-0 or 1-0 down, but if he's got that in him, I'd like to see a bit more of that and a bit more entertainment value from him. Hopefully we'll see more of that more of that coming from him as well. Um, County, you mentioned earlier, County did play poorly, um, but I think we did play football. But as as John as John mentions there, so we we basically it was we beat a team that we re- we really probably should be beating anyway, wasn't it? Criticise the defending for the first goal because I think it is poor, but I don't think they necessarily played poorly. I think tactically, they after a couple of months in the top flight might want to be rethinking how they approach some of these games against the better teams in the league. But yeah, we we were generally quite comfortable. I think the first goal came at a good time because I think there were just beginning to be a few moans and groans in the stadium. We'd had half an hour. We'd started off pretty well. We hadn't obviously got the breakthrough. And given the last two games we hadn't scored, um, we were beginning to reach the point where uh, there was a, a growing frustration inside the ground. So we immediately then get the second. The game is pretty much done by that point. It's a slight disappointment, especially given how, you know, we missed out in a position last year on goal difference that we, you know, we had 43, 44 minutes to get to get more goals and we didn't. You know, I'm not going to start overly mourning about a 3-0 win with some, with some good passages of play, some nice stuff on the ground. One thing doing that in August though against Ross County, we've got to try and make sure we, we're doing that against some of the tougher teams in the league and also when the pitches get a little bit harder to play through, you know, let's try and keep this commitment to be less pragmatic and uh, have a, a somewhat more fluent style. That was Saturday's game against Ross County, a, a fairly comfortable 3-0 victory. Uh, we're going to have a wee chat now with our guest Mark Gordon. Who, Mark, you're obviously, you write about the, the AFC women's team. Um, they're currently having a pretty a pretty good season. They're currently top of the SW, SWFL1 North. Um, I think they're currently five points ahead of Cove Rangers. Uh, just uh, give us a bit of background. How are they? The, no, how they actually are doing this season? Yeah, well, it's obviously the inaugural season for the AFC Women, um, the club's first senior women's team. They took on the the league place of Aberdeen Ladies um, at the end of last season. So um, they're unbeaten in the league. They've only had one draw, like 14, I think 14 games, or maybe last night was their 15th game, and they've won every game apart from that one draw. Um, I think they're averaging around five goals a game at the minute as well. Um, so, yeah, very positive um, first season as well. Uh, the Scottish Cup, they're on a great run in the Cup. Um, they've beat... Kilmarnock and Spartans who are both in leagues above them in the last two rounds and got themselves into the quarter final um, which for a team kind of two rungs down the ladder um, is a really good achievement 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, obviously they're going to face uh, the Rangers in the next round. How hard a challenge will that be for them? Um, obviously, the Rangers play in the SWPL1. Um, is there, what's the, what is the, the main difference? Is, that a, is, it, is there a higher standard, perhaps, in that league? Or um, is it just that it's, it's, it's divided you know, regionally? Yeah, so the leagues are divided in a, a pyramid system. So SWPL1, or you've got Premier League 1, then Premier League 2, and then beneath that it goes to a pyramid. So you've got um, FL League 1 North and League 1 South. So we're effectively two rungs down the ladder, two leagues beneath them, if you like. So it is a big step up. Um, they're on similar points at the minute to Spartans, who were knocked out two rounds ago. Um, I think they're sitting fourth or fifth in the league at the minute, Rangers, but just in the summer they've kind of announced significant investment in the team. Um, former player Gregory Vignal, he, or Vignal, he's the new manager there, and they've got ambitions to turn pro in the not so distant future. So, you know, they, they are going to be a massive challenge for the girls to beat them. Um, but they've done it before they went down to the Spartans and won that game and we've got home advantage against Rangers and it certainly won't be for the one to try if they don't knock them out that's for sure What should we be looking out for for the, for the women's team no, give us like a flavour of um, possibly like who's the, who's the, who are dangerous players So it's a very attacking team it's also a very young team so just last week we had five away um, with Scotland youth set up so Three players in the under-17s, that was uh, Bailey Hutchison, Eva Thompson and Jessica Broderick. And we had Ailey Shore and Francesca Ogilvie in the under-19s. So it's a very young squad. There is some experienced players in there as well. Um, players to look out for if you go along to a game, I would say um, Lauren Campbell, a fullback. She's a former youth Scotland international, one of the more experienced players in the team. She's been with Aberdeen for over 10 years now, I think. Um, very talented footballer, inexperienced as well. Uh, Ailey Shore, who I mentioned, uh, Scotland in a 19 international. She's the kind of playmaker in midfield, another really talented young footballer. And Bailey Hutchison as well, um, still at school, Bailey in Scotland in her 17s. Um, she scored two goals last night and three the weekend she's on good form at the minute and she's another one of the standouts but it's difficult to pick out players because across the team you know they're, they've got a real good team spirit and team ethic and um, they really are all on the same page together and it's good to see it's good to watch well that's great and yeah certainly if you know if anybody's able to we obviously urge you to try and get along to support the, the AFC women's team as well um, and you know if there, if not a chance to see them playing in the cup at cup and possibly even defeating Rangers, um, I think Mark would all agree. We would all agree that that's something we'd be looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, I know it's not for everyone. Women's football, maybe, and uh, not to cast any aspersions on any of your listeners, but I'm sure there'll be people who might be skipping past this part of the pod because they don't want to know about it. But you know, these are talented, committed footballers who are proud to play for Aberdeen and they deserve support and they deserve people to go and watch them and I promise you if you go along and watch them you won't be disappointed at all. 
Excellent. So yeah, like I said, we know we'd urge, urge anybody you know get along and support the, the support the AFC ladies team. Now before we move along to our our, our feedback or discussion topic this week, just one more thing we need to add add in as well that um obviously this the, the Stevie May question he left Aberdeen and during the just towards the end of the window there, gone back to St jo- St Johnston. His contract was cancelled by mutual consent, at Richard. Um, and it's probably would it be fair to say an expensive failure in the transfer market. Yeah, totally. Uh, he won't be featuring in the discussion all the way to have, let's put it that way, about greatest 21st century Aberdeen players. There was always going to be um, the case that there's going to be a bit of a post-mortem about how much he'd been spent on him, how much he'd been, frankly, wasted on him um, over the past couple of years and with two years still left in his deal. But, you know, he'd obviously reached the end of his time here at Aberdeen. I don't think many of us would have said two years ago that it, it looked like a bad signing at the time. I think for me, the worry back then clearly was whether he'd be able to play games. I, I don't. I wouldn't have said two years down the line I would have been sat here saying that Stevie May has played sixty games or whatever it was for Aberdeen and is still a failure. You know, if I thought that this signing was going to be a failure, I thought it would be because he just wouldn't be able to consistently be fit for uh, a number of games per season. But he's done well to come back. But clearly, for whatever reason, either he's not had what he once had or the manager has not been able to get out of him what he once had. It will be interesting to see how he gets on down at St Johnston. I'm obviously very wary of the fact that the next visitors to Pitotri are indeed St Johnston. So um, I'm waiting for the inevitability of a Steve May go- a Stevie May goal that afternoon. Yeah, the, yeah, John. That's a that's a. Oh, I mean, I'm I, I would never bet against Aberdeen, but um, if you're the kind of person that would bet against Aberdeen, I think it's probably a, probably something that you would class as a nap, isn't it? That he's probably going to score against us, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I can't help but feel the same way. He's 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 destined to to put in his best performance at Potodri in several years um, when he plays us in a in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't think he'll see any ill will when he's when he's back up the road. I think he was a reasonably popular player in the dressing room, in the squad, um, and and for the most part, as much as he maybe frustrated us as fans, there was never any question mark about attitude or or work rate or or the kind of things that maybe we've uh, we've lacked from from other unsuccessful transfers over the years. So I think he'll get a reasonably warm welcome until he scores, and then after that, uh, all bets are off. We can uh, we can treat him however we like after that. Yeah, Mark. Um, I, I, I mean, I feel bad for a beautiful bad for him because it just didn't work out. I mean, obviously there was the, the kind of got injured against that game in the game against the Rangers, um, and he seemed to it's, it's, that seemed to really knock his confidence. And I think after that, there was no real way back from. Yeah, it's a real shame. Um, I think everyone really, really wanted it to work out when we signed him. I was certainly delighted when we did sign him. Um, I don't know if the, the injury in that game. Um, it was the issue or whether it was the kind of hangover if you like of the injury that he suffered down the road you know it's a really serious injury that he got and um, maybe physically he was back to where he was but perhaps maybe psychologically that injury took um, too big a toll on him that he couldn't get back from but it is a shame and I do wish him well um, as long as he doesn't score against us which I think we all feel is a wee bit inevitable. So we'll move on now 
to uh, our, our main topic of the, topic of the podcast. We're going to try and try and argue, decide, fight over the best Aberdeen eleven of the twenty first century. Richard, I'm going to come to you first. You can give us give us the case for who you think the best goalkeeper for the two thousands for Aberdeen is. I suppose a couple of ground rules on this first. Where just count, I mean, it can be anybody who's played for Aberdeen, but we're just counting their contribution in the 21st century. So, Scott Booth played for Aberdeen in the 21st century. A much diminished Scott Booth, still the best player in the team by some distance, um, under Steve Patterson. But he doesn't get to get in the side on the basis of what he did in the 90s. Likewise with Ian Jess, I'm afraid. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> but, if we're going to start in goal, um, and I've definitely gone in my 11 for some decisions that will be argued and we'll, we'll end up with a consensus um, which um, I know is not the flavour of the month right now uh, around the country but that's what we're going to go with um, I'm prepared to be outvoted on this but there are a couple of really strong contenders in goal uh, I mean Peter Kier is often mentioned as the kind of last really good Aberdeen goalkeeper before uh, Derek McInnes finally got the position sorted uh, and he did well for us obviously he was a Danish international but, you know, the 40-odd games he played for us, he was frequently getting injured. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the best of Peter Keir, let's say. I mean, he was 38-39 when he came here, so he, he did fine. The two serious contenders for me are Joe Lewis, who we've espoused at length on this show about how much we appreciate having him in goal, and Danny Ward. And for me, I'm going to give it to Danny Ward, simply because I think he's just slightly better at the key goalkeeping attributes um, and than Joe Lewis. I'm not saying that he necessarily proved it more in an Aberdeen shirt, but I think he, he is he was able to operate a slightly higher standard than Joe Lewis. Um, I'll let you I'll let you retort to that one, Mark, if you want. I've gone for uh, Nicky Weaver and goals. <laughs> 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 um, Joe Lewis and uh, and Peter here were the two names I had at the top of my list um, over Ward M- more on kind of contribution and length of stay kind of more than anything I think Lewis is the, the best keeper we've had for me he's the best keeper we've had um, since now there's uh, I think um, it's very difficult to pick out a weakness in his game um, he's been very consistent in his time here he rarely has a bad game you can point to very few kind of blunders that he's had in all his time here and just for consistency of level of performance I've gone for Lewis when I was when I was looking at uh, goalkeepers for this 11 I was quite surprised to see that our best defensive season in, in the the 21st century came in 1415. Um, when we conceded 33 goals in the league And uh, the two names that kept goal for us that season I'm surprised not to see uh, Scott Brown and Jamie Langfield mentioned As a potential uh, all-century goalkeeper But statistically they did uh, they did some sterling work back there Behind uh, behind Russell Anderson and co Ultimately so uh, Sorry No I was just going to say the, uh, the other uh, key member of that defence Who probably won't get a mention is Ash Taylor <laughs> no, I think you're right to say probably more, Richard. <laughs> so who did who did you have, John? 
Uh, I've gone with I've gone with Joe Lewis. I can understand the the thinking behind Danny Ward, and I think that maybe in ten years' time, um, if he ever gets off the sub bench at, at Leicester, we might be thinking uh, to ourselves, you know, isn't it amazing that Danny Ward spent six months up here with Aberdeen? But I, I think longevity and consistency during their spells, uh, uh, Joe Lewis just edges it for me. Danny Ward, a very you know, respectable choice, but I'm, I'm going to go with Lewis. No, I totally take that point about uh, the length of contribution and the impact that uh, Julius has had, the fact he's our player. I absolutely expected to get outvoted on this one. And it won't be the last one. That's the problem. I mean, it's it's good, Richard, that you're 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 willing to concede so early, so that later on, I'm sure I'm sure you'll. It should be kind of you know, this is our ball and we're taking it home, but you know. <laughs> No, no, I'm sure you can see, you concede now because you know, you'll live to fight another day later on when I'm sure there's one that you'll 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 feel more strongly about. Do I get Danny Ward as the subkeeper at least? You, we we weren't going to do a bench, but if you want, you can have Danny Ward We're as the subkeeper. So no Danny Ward's getting on good stuff. Brilliant. Okay. So next, next we'll have we're gonna we're gonna move on to the defence. Uh, I'm going to start with right back. Short of the current incumbent, I don't. We've not been very strong. At the, in the right back area, some of the names like David, uh, David Lilly, and others uh, leave a lot to be desired. Uh, for me, John, there can only be one shout for this one, and it has to be Super Kev McNaughton. Yeah, I don't don't disagree with you there. McNaughton uh, was a real favourite of mine for for years and years, and one of the few Aberdeen players who who left us who I kept following their career once they'd they'd left. So. McNaughton, a, a, a real favourite for that position. I had Shea Logan listed as well. I think that maybe if we were asking this question of each other a year, 18 months ago, we might be more inclined to debate Logan. But I think the last year or so, he hasn't quite looked like the player that he was when we signed him. But still, overall, uh, a pretty good uh, contribution. Right back was probably the shallowest area I could think of. Here were my my, uh, only other two offerings, Michael Hart and Alan Maybury. And I don't think we want to spend too much time on either of them. Uh, well, I've got Michael Hart on my team. I've also got Kevin McNaughton on my team, but he's at left back. So that was Michael Hart just above Shea Logan. Simply because I think he's a better defender, and ultimately I want my fullbacks to defend first. And what, did, what did you have, uh, Mark? Got with Kevin McNaughton as well. <clears throat> I had Hart and Logan down, but I think the full, both fullback positions, in fact, were kind of the shallowest pool of players to pick from I found most forgotten players that we've had over that time have come at full back but yeah McNaughton and as John said he's one of the players that left that he kind of followed his career after he left and he's also one of the few that went down south and kind of improved and uh, really made a proper fist of it down the road so yeah McNaughton for me at right back so we have three for Kevin McNaughton and one for Michael Hart. Not for the first time. Are we, are we will ask Richard? Are you willing to concede on this one? <laughs> I suppose it depends on who's going in at left back, doesn't it? Well, we can come. Well, we can come to left back. Left back now, if you want. I do want. Yeah. Oh, well, let's go. Well, I've already told you. I'm playing Kevin McNaughton at left back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. Well. Uh, Mark, uh, who did you have as your left back? And we could perhaps concede, and maybe Kevin McNaughton could be moved to the other side. Like I say, left back is probably symptomatic of our kind of history of poor left backs that have struggled so much with a left back to a point where I've put in a centre back and left back and I went with Andy Considine in there. Um, it was between 
Andy Constantine and Charlie Mulgrew. Um, but I think Constantine just um, over this kind of whole time here has improved greatly from the player that kind of first broke into the team. Um, possibly improved more than any other player actually. And um, I've put Andy in at left back ahead of Charlie Mulgrew. Um, and I, I really struggled to think of any other left backs who could come close to kind of getting in ahead of either of them. I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned Charlie Mulgrew because I actually had him had him down um, in my team at left back as well. Um, so um, what, what are you saying on it, John? Uh, I went for for Considine as well, actually, um, but I felt kind of cheeky doing so. I felt like I was shoehorning Constantine into the team a little, just out of uh, out of a sort of sense of loyalty to him. The only other name I came up with that I thought was worth considering was Jamie McAllister, but um, I, I mean, I wouldn't put him any any close to the to the starting eleven ahead of McNaughton, Mulgrew, or Constantine. Um, I think that had we been lucky enough to keep him for a bit longer, Max Lowe could be in the conversation. But similarly to what I said about uh, Danny Ward a minute ago, um, I don't know that six months is really enough to unseat um, any of the the more kind of uh, familiar names on the list. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going with Considine at left back, and then McNaughton can can have right back. Okay, we see we see we have find ourselves at a T junction. Um, what are you what are you thinking of that then, Richard? Well, to quote Peter O'Hanrahan, O'Hanrahan, I don't like it, but I'll have to accept it. <laughs> we'll go with that then. So we'll go with we'll go with uh, we'll go with Andy then at left back. Uh, Mark, I'll I'll leave it I'll leave it to you if you can give me your case for the centre half partnership. <clears throat> no brainer for the first one, uh, Russell Anderson, and I'll put him in alongside McKenna. Almost a grudgingly there, not grudgingly, but I think there's a bit of recency bias comes into these things, and you look at the players that are playing at the minute, and it's hard to comp- compare them against players from the past. But McKenna alongside Anderson would be my preferred two. Um, a special mention for a player who probably won't get mentioned for Derek White, maybe not for his own contribution towards the end of his career, but his contribution in bringing on Anderson as a player. I think Anderson um, improved hugely from playing alongside White. But, uh, yeah, Anderson and McKenna are my centre two. Yeah, it's quite odd. I think, you know, you mentioned recency bias, but I think in something like this, it almost works the other way because you kind of almost forget some of the flaws that some of the players from 10 years ago actually did have, whereas you're much more likely to think about recent poor performances, maybe one bad game from Scott McKenna, that uh, would justify leaving him out. So, I, I mean, I've also gone Anderson and McKenna. I think Russell Anderson in particular might be, might well be one of three names that all three of us have picked in this 11, to be perfectly honest. The other set of half options that I had written down were Mark Reynolds, who uh, was seriously close to dislodging Scott McKenna, I have to say. And yeah, I've got Derek White down. I've actually got, that's the fewest names for any position, um, apart from wingers, to be fair, but they're kind of nailed on. I really struggled to to decide who was playing alongside Russell Anderson here. Um, so I, I I listed as names uh, Mark Reynolds, who I thought was 
at his best alongside Russell Anderson so there's a temptation to put those two in together the Reynolds that played for us and that now plays for Dundee United is not the same player that played alongside Russell Anderson um, I think that's safe to say I also had Scott McKenna as an option um, I think that his physical attributes are going to turn him into a, a superb defender um, but right now I think that Reynolds alongside Anderson was a better defender than what McKenna is at the moment. But I also had another name that no one's mentioned yet. This is maybe a bit um, a bit of a kind of personal favourite of mine, but I was really, really keen on Xander Diamond back in the day. I don't know if that was a popular feeling. I don't know if it is a popular feeling now amongst the three of you. But um, I would quite happily have Diamond on the bench. I know we're not doing a bench, but in a, on a theoretical bench. Um, I thought that the best we saw of Xander Diamond was was a very talented defender who was playing in a dreadful team. Um, I think that Diamond's career since leaving us doesn't reflect on what I'm saying, but um, the the year or two that we got from Xander Diamond where he looked very good um, was some of the best centre-half play I've seen from us this century. So while I'm not going to put him in the team, I wanted to put a word in for Xander anyway. We can absolutely have a bench. I think we should have a bench. Uh, Danny Ward's on a bench. I made sure of that. So we should probably have a defender on the bench. Uh, but it's not going to be Xander Diamond. I can tell you that straight off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I've put the cat amongst the pigeons, if nothing else. Uh, yeah, and, you know, that's kind of what we wanted. Some ridiculous left-field choices. Um, so, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing who you've got on midfield. Um, <laughs> Stephen Hughes, maybe. <laughs> So I think I think we're pretty much no pretty much in agreement there that we'll, we'd have obviously Russell um, and Scott McKenna. I think it would it would be the would be the consensus. Two votes to one. Yeah, he's in. Yeah, I'm happy with that. So we move to move towards the midfield now. Um, a lot of options here. Um, Mark, um, there, there's there's very very quite a few options here. I mean, what, what did you have for your your central midfield partnership? Well, I, I had Ian Jess with a question mark next to it. Um, but if we're not allowed to pick Ian Jess, um, I've gone for my um, two in the middle as Bisconti and Scott Severin, which might not be the most popular pairing. I doubt anyone else has got those two in together. Um, Bisconti is maybe one of those that Richard mentioned that um, you kind of remember back on fondly as being a great player, but you maybe kind of forget his flaws. But I just remember of of the time him being a kind of standout player. And I think Severin was quite an underrated player when he was here. To be honest, I think um, I think he was a really good player and a, and a really good midfield for us. And I mean, there's so many other options. I've got a list of loads. It was certainly the positions that um, there was more names for than any. Um, Hiking in Arneson, Will Flood, have you got in there? I mean, I've got a list of names, but Bisconti and Severin is what I've settled on. What about you, Richards? Um, well, I suppose I kind of looked upon it as a midfield three, including the number 10. But if you, if you want my sort of further back two, yeah. Um, Scott Severin narrowly edged out Ryan Jack, uh, and that's not because of what happened to Ryan Jack once he left Aberdeen. It's because Scott Severin offers you versatility by also being able to slot in at centre half if you're Jimmy Calderwood. Uh, 
but really, of course, it is because of what happened when Ryan Jack, Jack left Aberdeen. Um, so Scott Seven got an offer, you know. I, I thought he was a really, really good player. I think he would excel in the kind of role we're looking for now for Funzo Ojo to fill, that kind of sitting midfielder. Uh, but he also had a drive. Uh, he was a decent captain for us. Um, and, you know, he was able to pop up with the odd goal as well. Um other guys who who narrowly made narrowly missed out here. Um, Barry Nicholson came very very close to selection, but I thought a midfield two of Scott Severin and Kenny McLean that to me seemed like a really really promising partnership. I've got Scott Severin as well. I didn't think that there would be a clean sweep on on Severin, but just. Uh... I don't really have too much to add on what uh, Mark and Richard have said. Severn was just uh, exceptional for us uh, and a, a big game player as well who did some important things on important fixtures. Um, I couldn't actually decide on who to play alongside him, but I narrowed it down to McLean, Shinney and Nicholson. So I'll... Um, I'll do a wee case for, for Shinny, I suppose. Um, you know, wouldn't have necessarily been most people's first choice. In fact, I'm the only one who's mentioned him. But I think that the, the sort of heart and soul and the ability to raise everyone around him that Shinny brought to our team, um, was something that I can't really be sniffed at. He was certainly able to, to spur a team on. And in a way that I suppose Severin did as well. So I've maybe gone for quite an industrious central midfielder, central midfield partnership without maybe the creativity. But uh, like Richard says, I'm not going to name a number 10 yet. I think we can save that um, for for a little bit later on. Yeah, I'm surprised Shinny didn't get a shout from from some people to, to, to play left back. Not because I think that was his best position, but almost because he might have missed out on a central midfield position on some people's teams. And certainly if you were picking a team to actually go out there and win, you know, what you've said about Shinny and what he can bring to that midfield, the centre of the park, they're really important qualities. I, I would definitely have him on the bench. Um, but to me, I, I think, you know, I've got, I've got a player that's covering the kind of, uh, composed, um, sitting player. I, I, I don't necessarily want how I'm viewing things. I don't necessarily want someone who's going to just run about the park trying to get the ball back so so I'm going with McLean my team will play nice football but we'll probably get uh, torn apart very easily in the midfield I think I think Severin and McLean I think would be would be a consensus does anybody does anybody object greatly to that one I did write Visconti down in fairness to Mark I did have him written down but there was a there was quite a list of midfielders I would say that for me Barry Nicholson Shinny were closer to getting into that team than Visconti was Bisconti's a wee bit before my time. I did have him written down, but I can't say I really saw much of him play. So um, I'll have to abstain on Bisconti voting. I would like to add that um, you know there's an alternate timeline out there where Fraser Five is a first pick in this midfield. Um, I think that uh, it's unfortunate what's happened to his career with injuries. Um, for a while, I thought that Fraser Five would would go on to become. Uh, one of the better players of his generation but it wasn't to be just wanted to mention him because he was also a favourite of mine alongside Xander Diamond I think that's maybe another 11 for another day of players that never quite fulfilled their potential there is a huge long list of those yeah, when we're when we're running out of ideas, we we tend to, we tend to fall back onto these sort of things. And I definitely, a, what could have been eleven is is something for one of the next international breaks. I think Richard. 
So we've got Scott Severn and Kenny McLean there. Then we'll pop we'll pop Graham Sherry on the bench. Did we have a well, Did we have a defender on the bench, by the way? Uh, I believe we settled on Reynolds. That's a good shout. Versatile, you see. Yeah. So we'll we'll move on to the wingers now, John. Um, I think these are going to be pretty straightforward, but um, let's hear what you've gone with. Yeah, I'll be surprised if there's too much argument against Hayes and McGinn as the two wingers here. Um, McGinn was almost almost the first name on my team sheet um, after Russell Anderson. I'm a I'm a, a massive Niall McGinn fan. Um, I, I think that. Uh, on his day, which is maybe not as often as we'd like it to be, but but when he is on form, uh, I, I genuinely believe he's he's one of the most talented players in Scotland and has been since we signed him. When I was doing a bit of research here, I, I'd almost forgotten just how many goals Niall McGinn used to score for us. 20 in his first season and then double figures again the second season. So he's a player that's uh, that's that's changed quite a lot while he's with us. He's more of the out-and-out winger than he used to be. But he still lays on assists like... Uh, well, what I should say is his goals have turned into assists to an extent. I believe that last season he was one of the top assisters in the league and he wasn't even in the team for the entire nine months of the season. We've seen it from him again this season with his assist for Hedges on Saturday. Um, I could also talk about Hazel, maybe leave that for, for Mark or Richard. But um, McGinn was almost the first name on my team my team sheet. OK, well, Mark, if you have Johnny Hayes, um, talk to us about him. I do love Johnny Hayes. I've gone Hayes and McGinn as well. The other players I had out in the wing were kind of number 10s or strikers or midfielders that I was going to just try and crowbar in. But as far as out and out wingers go, I can't see past Hayes um, over this time period. Um, very, very seldom had a bad game. He was another one of those that... Uh, he was always good, even if even on his worst days, he never kind of dropped below good. He was always either good or really good for us. Um, a match winner, good going forward, but also kind of faultless work rate as well. He just kind of all round really, really good player for us. And I think, you know, at, at our best, attacking wise, under uh, under Derek McInnes was when Hayes and McGinn were out wide, and um, I thought Hayes. For me, always just edged it over McGinn as being the better player. So, yeah, his was an easy choice for me. Which just leaves uh, Richard. Um, uh, do you have anybody different? Yeah, I've gone with Scott Muirhead. And, uh, no, um, <laughs> <laughs> listen, there's no serious competition for these two. I knew that, you know, as I said at the outset, I thought Russell Anderson and these two would be only sort of unanimous picks. As it turned out, Scott Severn got in as well. Um, I think, you know, as I say, Ryan J- Jack's uh, next destination after Pataudry probably helped uh, to secure that. The only semi-serious alternate picks you could ever proffer for the wingers is really Mackay Stephen, who if this team were playing Hibs, I would put in the team without question, or uh, <laughs> Sonny Aluko and... You know, Sonny really gave up for pretty much the last 12 months of his time at Pataudry. So, here's him again. Absolute stick-ons. Well, we've, we've got we've still got space on the bench. Would you do, would you want Mackay Stephen on the bench? No, I wouldn't. I would I, I would take a I would take another midfield option and another sort of number 10 type option on the bench probably ahead of Mackay Stephen. But I mean, again, that's open to debate. Maybe someone else might want to make a case for. 
for him. I don't think he contributed enough consistently. You know, we talk about McGinn's lack of consistency, but as Johnny, as John quite rightly pointed out, he is still popping up with a lot of assists, still quite a few goals. I think he was second top goal scorer last season. I think he's always been in the top uh, one or uh, top two, possibly top three Aberdeen goal scorers in his time here, which is which is actually a fairly decent achievement. I, I don't see that any of the other possibilities as winger really deserve a place in the in the eighteen even. Well, 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 Richard, we'll come to the number the the fabled number ten position now. I think this might be one that's um, that causes probably most debate. I I can't pick between two, and there was a third who ran these two very very close. Um, and the thing which might cause um, these two not to get picked by anybody else is that they were never really our players. I can't pick between James Madison and Ryan Christie. Uh, and, you know, whoever isn't starting is definitely going on the bench. I thought they were a class above anybody else we've really seen in that number 10 role. The other guy who who ran them pretty close, but his injury problems for me were were considering factor uh, Jamie Smith what do you think of that John uh, Jamie, Smith, Jamie Smith I think would be a, is, is a pretty good shout um, I, it's one I would have put down but yeah injury problems kind of rule him out don't they yeah they do unfortunately because when we saw Jamie at his best he was superb um, and and no more so than in the Copenhagen game which has to go down as one of the best individual performances from an Aberdeen player in the 21st century, Smith in that second half, just completely out of this world. But I agree that his injury problems probably keep him out. Although I think I could make a case for we got more than six good months out of Jamie Smith. We didn't get six good months out of James Madison. So, I, I, you know, I think there is debate to be had there. But Madison, you know, unquestionably the better player there. My vote for number 10 would would go for, for Ryan Christie. Again, like uh, like Richard said, not not our player. So it's perhaps with a heavy heart that you vote for him in a in an all time or rather an all century eleven. <clears throat> but Christie, just an incredibly talented player, um, looked comfortable with us for the most part. Um, had some great runs of form and, and and contributed a lot. The only name that hasn't been mentioned so far that I even considered was Peter Pollitt. Um, but I also had him listed as perhaps a backup winger, um, although he did play through the middle more for us, I suppose. I think that Pollock was electric for a while and, and great to watch, but ultimately Christie Smith, better player. So I'd, I'd go with Christie here. That's that's an interesting one that he mentions there, Mark, because um, as we as we've seen recently, um, the, the the best player in the world, uh, whenever he came up against Peter Pollock, seemed to have water in the brain. So does Peter <laughs> Pollock make it in for you? He, he didn't know. Um, <laughs> I've kind of gone with the same, um, the same kind of number ten type players. Uh, I, I've I've also got a few question marks next to my strikers who could crowbar in as a number ten. But yeah, Madison, Christie, and Smith were the three I've got written down. And although I don't think he was the better player of the three, I've I, I kind of landed on Jamie Smith because. He was our player, really, is my only reason for putting him above them. But I accept of the three, Madison's probably the best player. Christie was probably, or maybe the best for us. Um, but yeah, those three were, were very close. It was difficult to choose between those. But no, I I had Paulette on 
kind of a list of wingers more than a number ten, to be honest. But um, I don't think he's he did enough to to get in even in the squad, Paul. Of course, the other option is to go with two strikers, but um, you know which some managers in the 21st century have uh, gone with for Aberdeen. Although it feels uh, very alien for uh, a Don's broadcast to be considering that right now. <laughs> so yeah, so we'll 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 take it right. So we've we've got a choice of uh, I think Christie or Madison. So who are you going for, Richard? But I just <laughs> yeah. I told you I couldn't. I couldn't decide. Um, I, I think John. I think John was siding with uh, Christie, though. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Are we Are we happy to compromise on Ryan Christie? Although I absolutely take uh, Mark's point that shouldn't we go Jamie Smith because he was our proper player? I don't know. I think you know, given I put Danny Ward in as keeper, I think I'm comfortable putting Christie in. Are you okay? Are you okay with that, Mark? Yeah, like I said, it was very close between the, the three that I had in, and um, yeah, I'm happy to go with that. And so we'll add. I think we'll add James Madison to the bench then. That sounds good to me. Which leads us to uh, the the final the final position. Uh, the, the striker, the man up top. We have. Um, I'm, I'm sure though there's a there are a few options here that we're looking through the names. Um, so John. Um, Give me your case and tell me why you've picked Darren Mackey. <laughs> he's he's on my list, but he's not he's not at the top of it. But uh, I think, as you've been able to tell, as I've gone through my my selections here, I'm a bit sentimental towards some players that maybe don't quite deserve it. So um, I, I'm I'm happy to to leave Mackey out of the eleven for now. But it's with a heavy heart I do so because. Uh, a popular player, um, in my opinion. Uh, if I if I may, I've gone for I've gone for Stavrum as the centre forward. Slightly before my time, not a player I, I saw as much as I've seen um, some of the other names on my list. But I think that he is the best combination of a, a talented player who performed well for Aberdeen, but who also just. Was a, 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 I'm, I'm mixing my words up a bit here He was just a very, very talented player Who also performed well for Aberdeen All of the other names on my list May well have performed well for Aberdeen at times Such as Scott Vernon Or Darren Mackey Or Steve Lovell But they just weren't particularly talented players They just played well in Aberdeen teams Stavrum was a talented player Who played well for Aberdeen I hope that makes sense I meandered a bit there But, but Stavrum gets my vote as the centre forward I'm sure that I'm sure that's one. That'll, um, it's a it's a great choice. Um, is Mark? Is that one that causes any controversy for you? No controversy. He was he was on my list of options, um, but I never went for Stavrum. But yeah, um, fond memories of Stavrum as a player, and I, I think if he'd been in a better Aberdeen team, um, we might have seen more of him. So who did you go for, Mark? I've gone for Adam Rooney. Um, just to mention a player that I, I would like to have put in but didn't have room for um, being uh, Zero Alley simply because he was a player that was different to everyone else and you know players don't like, like that don't come along very often a player that you just you simply don't know what they're going to do and um, you don't haven't had many of them through the door so um, although he wasn't in my team I wanted to make a special mention for him but um I had to go with Rooney. He's um, 
the best goal scorer we've had since Duncan Shearer. Um, I know there's the a chain of thought that you used to hear often of he only scores goals, but um, he, he did it really, really well. Um, he scored not only go- a lot of goals for us, but a lot of really important goals as well. And back in the cup runs, and um, as far as an out-and-out striker goes, if Sam Cosgrove's going to be a success here, then I think he should be uh, looking at Rooney because if he can be as successful as he was, then he'll be doing well. Rooney's a serious, serious contender. You can't ignore the weight of goals he scored. And uh, hopefully with the rest of this team, there'd be a lot of uh, balls and uh, opportunities from within the penalty box where he thrived. In terms of strikers, uh, the list I've got is um, four very different players. It was really five. I did have Sam Cosgrove on, but again, I think that's that probably is a definite recency bias. I think... There's still question marks about Sam, and that's that's entirely fair enough. I started off with Robbie Winters, who I who I thought was pretty overlooked for a long time with the work he did around the turn of the century. He scored 16, 17 goals uh, that season uh, under Eby Scovedale when we finished fourth. Again, would have been interesting to see how he did any better Aberdeen team. Lee Miller uh, was another one that I'd written down. I thought maybe one of these strikers who doesn't score enough goals, and that's definitely something you could probably label at him. Um, but as a as a target man, as somebody that can get you up the pitch, I, I think he's been probably the best we've had this century. Rooney, obviously, obviously uh, gets included. But, yeah, the man I went for, and I, I'm, again, really surprised that someone else has picked him. I thought this was a proper left-field choice. It was Ariel Stavram. For much the same reasons as John, if he was scoring 17 goals in a team where his service was being provided by Ben Thornley and Derek Young, then, you know, if, if Johnny Hayes and Nam again are supplying uh, the ammunition with uh, McLean and Christie behind him, then, you know, I'd, I would drool at that. I think um, there was a man who could, who could create chances himself, um, but he was also a penalty box striker. As long as we weren't spending the entire game trying to beat the opposition's offside trap where we might have a problem if Stavron was our centre forward so I'm generally, surpri- generally surprised there so that's two bucks. That's, that's two picks for Stavrum anyway so um, Arnold goes in there I mean I you can get a veto you can be like you know you can be like you know one of the um, European Union parliaments if you want you can have a veto I, I would but I love our old Stavrum so <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely not going to complain uh, When I was looking through the list I did have similar to you Richard I had Lee Miller there as well But you make a perfectly good point Yeah um, No um, I, can't, I, can't, I can't even cons- think about Vito and Arnold um, There No um, we, we obviously, This obviously means we have to put Rooney on the bench show, Don't we Yeah I think so So there is That makes our, our start at 11 Joe Lewis Kevin McNaughton Russell Anderson Scott McKenna And Andy Constein Scott Severin and Kenny McLean we have wingers of Nell McGinn and Johnny Hayes, and then Ryan Christie and up front Arnold Stavrum. Uh, so, Richard, I make that three former podcast guests in the starting eleven as well. That's not bad, eh? Oh, so it is. So it is. So uh, who we got to try and nail down next? Then Severin, by the looks of things, because the rest of them are still playing. Severin's the next one that isn't. That is the only one that's retired out of the, with the rest of them. So um, yeah, we'll try and we we'll have to try and nail him down. Well, quite. If anyone can get on uh, his boat to where he is offshore at the moment, then let us know. Give him, yeah, give him a knock and say um, tell him to come on our podcast. That would be great. And on the bench, and on the bench we have Danny Ward. Mark Reynolds, Graham Shinney, James Madison, and Adam Rooney. I, I think that's that's not bad at all, isn't it? 
Stavrum is maybe the, the one slight surprise. I knew I was going to lose out on some of my picks like Ward and Hart. I knew they weren't going to get in. Um, I picked them for specific reasons, probably more for the composition of a team rather than, you know, were they the best fullback, were they the best right back. Happy enough with that, absolutely. Gents, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm really happy with that team. Um, I would love to, to play some sort of fantasy match where we can actually put that 11 out there because I think they'd be pretty exciting to watch. I agree with what you said about um, trying to pick players that fitted into a team rather than outstanding individuals. I did originally, on like a first draft almost, have Stavrum and Rooney together up front, but I don't think that would work even given our lack of willingness to play 4-4-2. I don't think Stavrum and Rooney would have run around enough to, to justify both starting. So that's why I, I eventually plumped for, for Stavrum on his own. I'm sure I'm sure Jimmy Calderwood would have managed to squeeze them in somewhere, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be Mark? Yeah, I'm sure he would have put played Darren Rooney at left back or there and thereabouts. Um, but yeah, a strong team, um, a couple of surprises. Maybe if I was allowed Ian Jess, I would swap him in for for Christie. But other than that, um, yeah, I think it's a strong team and a strong bench as well. You're allowed Ian Jess. You just have to judge him purely on what he did in the 21st century, which wasn't a great deal. Yeah, let's not take the name of Ian Jess in vain. No, we don't do that on this podcast. Come on now. So there, that is your that is your AFC 2011. If you disagree with it, let us know. Um, I am sure there will be lots of responses saying, "I can't believe you put him in, you bunch of dicks." But that's what that's what football and t- debate is all about. Um, I certainly enjoyed doing this. Just leave for me to thank a guest this evening. What to thank uh, John Sinclair. Thank you very much for coming back on, John. No, you're very welcome. Really enjoyed myself. The pleasure. And thanks very much, Mark. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Uh, Richard, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, it's kind of almost always a pleasure speaking to you as well. I uh, should say that that Women's Cup Cup final against the uh, Rangers, it's on Sunday the 15th of September, Mark, am I right? Yeah, that's right, Sunday the 15th. And is that out at Lawson Dale at West Hill? Is that where it's being played? Yes, at the moment I think that's the, that, that's the venue you're using. And this is coming Sunday as well, um, Kelty Hearts, 1pm at Sports Village in the league. Okay, well, there's obviously no Don's game this weekend, um, and the next week the the women's games on the Sunday and the men's teams on the Saturday. So, so yeah, uh, if you get the chance to go along, uh, by all means, uh, do so. We're obviously very proud that um, we'll be able to fundraise to uh, sponsor a couple of the women's team um, over the summer. So, thank you very much to everyone who helped us do that. Absolutely. Uh, well, we'll be back after this international break when there's um, some more Aberdeen games to talk about. Until then, come on, you Reds. Come on, you Reds.